So now we're going to continue with our worship by studying scripture. If you want to open up to James chapter 5, we're going to be finishing out James. This is, and this has been um, quite an experience walking through this book and just how relevant God's truth is in, in our lives. And it truly is living and active. So James chapter 5, starting at verse 13, we're going to re read through the end of the passage. I'll go ahead and read it now. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like our, ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. For three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You know, I, I just want to be honest with you all. Can we, can we do that? Um, I think that we would pray a lot more if we believed and knew that prayer worked. You know, if, if, if you got somebody sick, somebody close to you, and all you had to do is go spend 20 minutes in your prayer closet, and just like that, they're healed. Or if you're in financial problems, you come to the end of the month, and you look at the checking account, you look at the bills, and you realize there isn't enough here, and just spend 20 minutes in the prayer closet, and just like that, you have the money you need or whatever the issue is. And I don't think there's any question though what James is talking about. I mean, in other words, he, he is very clear throughout his book of James, not only this passage, but he believes very firmly in the power of prayer. He believes without a doubt that it is effective. I mean, we've, we've looked at a couple of verses. Jump back to the beginning of James. Remember this one, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And then later in chapter 4, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And then, of course, this whole end section of James, like I just said, James could not be more clear about his belief that there is significant power in prayer. So why is it then that uh, it seems like there's a disconnect? Why is it that oftentimes we pray and we don't have the immediate results that it seems to indicate, not only in this James passage, but in other parts of Scripture, we would expect to receive? Now, I think there's really just two basic possibilities here. Possibility number one, that there is actually nobody on the other end of the line. 
when I'm praying, I'm reaching out to a non-existent God, a God who's not there. Possibility number two is that there's actually something wrong on my end of the line, something with my understanding or something with my thinking, my behavior, something on my side that's, that's breaking. In other words, we're reading him correctly, but we're not getting something. We're missing something about this. There's something missing. Now, I believe without a shadow of a doubt that God exists, that he is the creator, that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead for my sins. I believe that. So I choose to believe through faith that it's, for me, it's the second choice, that God is there, but I am missing and I'm not fully understanding something here. Because again, if Jesus says there's power in prayer, if James says there's power in prayer, and all of Scripture says that prayer is powerful, then I choose to believe that, and I'm going to recommit myself to that belief that prayer is powerful. And that really is our first point, and what we're going to see in the first few verses in 13 through 16, that prayer is powerful. And you can see that, that James, right off the bat, he gives three circumstances for prayer. He says, if you're suffering, pray. We talked about suffering a lot in James. If you are, uh, uh, what is it, uh, cheerful, he says, sing praises. And that singing praises is just another way of communicating with God. So it fits into the category of praying. He says, if you are sick, then uh, pray. I mean, he gives some other examples on that. We're going to go into that. But there's a special kind of sick as well because he talks about in verse 14 uh, having that sick person call for the elders. And it, it says that for them to pray over him and for them to anoint him with oil. And there's lots of different opinions that I've found about, among theologians. And I don't want to get into the detail on that. But all of them pretty much agree that this is a special kind of sick because it gives us some clues about, you know, this sick person actually has to tell the elders to come to him because he's too sick. It talks about them having to pray over him, meaning he's laying in bed. He can't get out of bed. And then it talks in verse 15 about him actually getting up, rising up. Uh, so it's a special kind of thing. And he, he also talks about this idea of anointing, which, which I've participated in. I've seen churches do that before. And it's this idea we just take some oil and we're going to put it on the, the person that's asking for prayer. And again, there's varying views among theologians of what does that mean? What is going on there? Um, one view is that the, the Greek word that he uses for anointing is a word that could mean just, just dab. and It's like putting on medicine. And it's well documented that uh, oils of various kinds were a super significant uh, form of medicine in the first century at the time that this was written. So, in other words, what James is prescribing, according to some theologians, is he's prescribing, if you're sick, prayer and medicine. And another view is that it's, a, it's actually an anointing. We're going to set this person apart. We're feeling led by God that this person is going to be healed. And, and just like other anointings you see in Scripture, this person is being set apart. So it's symbolically set apart for God for a healing. Um, and then... you. Verse 15, though, is really uh, a big one. He says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, he is straight out saying that if there is prayer and anointing in this circumstance, then the person is going to be saved. The one who is sick is going to be saved. 
And there's, there's basically three different views on that. One view is that it's talking about salvation because it uses the word save. We aren't necessarily promised healing in this lifetime, but the elders pray over this person and he will eventually be saved. Now, and then another view is, is puts the emphasis on faith. And they say, well, okay, if, if the person doesn't get well, then there's some kind of lack of faith. Something is missing. And the third view is the one that I prefer, and I don't want to get spend too much time digging in, into this, but, but it's not the kind of thing that we pray whenever we want to, as if we can decide that, okay, the elders are going to gather and this is the person that's going to be healed. There's In the Greek, the, the article the, the prayer of faith, is in there. And so some theologians say that this is a particular kind of, 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 of time where it has just become very clear to the people involved that God wants to heal this person because it's not something, you know, healing is not something that we can just pull out of our pocket and just administer when we want to. It's something that God decides. He's the one that, that, that decides it. And then maybe at this particular time with this particular person, there's just this, this surge of faith and, and unusual confidence that God wants to heal this person. And if that's the case, then James is saying, then they will be healed. Now, there's a lot more I could say about those, those passages, a lot more that could be added. But I'd like for us to focus on verse 16. Take a look at verse 16. I think this is the main verse for us today. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. And that therefore is referring to the power of prayer. Because prayer is powerful, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. There are 47 one another verses in the New Testament. These are commands in the New Testament to Christians for Christians. Love one another. And right here we have two of them right in one verse. Confess your sins to one another and uh, pray for one another. And there is tremendous power in those two things when we are doing that. And I don't believe, I personally don't believe that there is enough of these two one another's in our church. Guys, sin loses its power when it is brought into the light. You know, when we confess something, we are saying that this thing that I did, this thought that I have, this heart desire, getting down to the root that I had, is simple. I'm gonna call it what God calls it. It is sin, it was wrong of me. And then prayer, the regular and faithful praying for one another. There is massive power in those two things within the local church. And think about uh, the combination of those two things together back with chapter 4. Remember the start of chapter 4 where we looked at how it's not just getting rid of sin that's on the external of our lives, but it's digging in to find out, okay, what is the sin at the heart level? What is the worship level? What is my heart's desire level kind of sin that bears the fruit of other things? Let me read again in chapter 4. Verses 1 through 3, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions 
are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. The murder is the fruit of that desire of coveting. coveting. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We need to dig into our hearts and find out, okay, what is the root desire or passion that led to that sin that came out in my life? And I need to confess that to others. You know, pride or, or coveting or greed or, you know, something else. I'm going to find that. I'm going to confess it. And I'm going to reach out to my, my brother or sister in Christ. And then look what he says, just a couple verses down in verse um, 6. And, and just think about the power involved in confession plus prayer with a fellow believer. He says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says... God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let me, let me tell you something. I think this is really, really important. Confession of sin is the proof that we have humility. And humility unlocks the power of God's grace. Confession of sin proves humility. And humility unlocks the power of God's grace. And then add on to that the power of a fellow believer praying on your behalf at the root heart desire, not just at the fruit level. Now, is that happening in our church? I, th I think it is happening some, and I've seen it and experienced it, and I've participated in it in, in confessing to others. But is it happening enough? Is it happening in your life? Is it happening in your intentional relationship? And I don't mean that we have to have you know, public confession of sin. I don't mean that. Typically, uh, our sin is done in private and we should confess our sin in private. We would publicly confess sin if it was a public sin that we, we did and we need to let other people know that we've changed direction, that we've repented and, and turned. Um, I think that we need to be confessing sin a lot more than we are right now. And it needs to be specific. And it needs to not just talk about fruits and the things that came out of our mouth or the things that we did. It needs to get down at the heart level. I gave into the passion of greed or covetousness or my pride. And that came out in this way. And it's letting another person know that. And, and confessing that this is what it is and I'm calling this sin and I'm turning and changing in this direction, would you pray for me? There is incredible, fantastic prayer there. And, and there are a lot of questions that I raised in the early part of this passage about prayer. And the Bible has a lot to say about prayer that raise similar kinds of questions. And those are fair and legitimate questions for us to ask and I don't know the answer to some of those, but this part I know, this part where he's talking about here in verse 16 is very clear. And I think that we need to start being obedient to that right now. And then we'll figure out, we'll work on trying to figure out the rest of it. And then going on to verse 17 and 18, he gives us an example of prayer. And he's got this example of Elijah. And I don't know about you guys, but I've always been a little bit annoyed that James includes Elijah 
as his example of prayer because Elijah was a superhuman. Um, you know, why not choose somebody like Samson? Or I, I mean, I don't know. There's just lots of other kind of people in the Old Testament that are of mixed, you know, quality. But Elijah is this prophet that did all kinds of things, including what he's describing right here of praying and stopping the rain and then praying and starting the rain. He raised a boy from the dead uh, to a widow. Um, he uh, had this big showdown with all the prophets of Baal and set up a big altar and called down fire from heaven that, that burned up all, not only the sacrifice, but the entire altar got consumed in fire. Um, this guy gets named as the, the precursor that we find out is later to be John the Baptist of Jesus and the Messiah. This guy was one of two people, including Moses, that appears on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. The apostles witnessed him there. Elijah was a superhuman. But James disagrees. Look what he says there. In verse 17, he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Look at 1 Kings 19. This is, let me read you the first 10 verses of chapter 19 of 1 Kings. And this event here in Kings comes right on the heels of the, 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 pray, the, the praying to end the rain episode that James talks about. The first 10 verses, it says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, which is amazing. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself when a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time, touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food, forty days and forty nights, to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, but the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So after all that had happened, all that the amazing things that Elijah experienced, we discover that Elijah has doubts. Elijah has fears. He's timid. He's scared. 
Elijah is just like me. Elijah is just like us in so many ways. Brothers and sisters, it is not about the person praying. It is about the person that we are praying to. That is where the power is in prayer. And, and that's how God works. And God is in no way limited. God is in no way limited by a wimp like Elijah or a wimp like me. So be encouraged to pray. And then finally, an encouragement for, for prayer in verses 19 through 20. It says, <clears throat> let me get back to it real quick. Forgot to mark it. 19 through 20, he says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. You know, a lot of times our prayers can be directed at somebody we love, somebody that has wandered away from the faith or is heading down a path that is, that is bad, that is dangerous and and I've been there. I mean, it can be very, very painful, especially if it's someone that's close to you. Um, and, and James has some encouragement for you. He has some encouragement for, the, for us. And the two things he says is he wants you to know that bringing them back will save their soul from death. And number two, that a multitude of sins will be covered when they come back. In other words, there is no person that is too far for Jesus, that is too far gone. He has the power to save. Jesus does. His gospel has the power and the sufficiency to cover any and all kinds of sins. And the, and the point he's making here is that there is never a time where you should say, Oh, I give up. They have gone too far. There is no hope for that person. And, and I personally have experienced this as well with someone that's close to me. And I can't share all the details in it, but I felt that God was really leading me at the time to spend 80 straight days of prayer for this person. And so what I did is I also fasted from every lunch. And so during lunchtime, I actually prayed for 90 minutes for 80 straight days, skipping lunch. And God worked an incredible miracle. He turned this person around in an amazing, phenomenal way. God answered that prayer, and he's still continuing to encourage and answer that prayer. So do not give up. Be encouraged. You know, James doesn't give us a lot of detail of any kind here of how we should pursue that person or how to bring them back, although the context makes it clear that one of those main ways is praying. But James's main point right here is to be encouraged. You can pray. That's what you should do. You should absolutely go after that person. So there's still a lot of mystery. I didn't, I did not solve all the big questions that are in this passage. Um, you can continue to do that, but I do believe that prayer is powerful. And I believe that in particular, there is great power in the two ideas found in verse 16. And I just want to close by rereading that passage to us. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. 
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your encouragement that you've been giving us. I thank you so much that you are a God who hears. Lord, that you're the one that has all the power. That even a man like Elijah, uh, an everyday human being, God, can achieve amazing things, God, because you're the one that's working in and through him. Father, we acknowledge that there's parts of this passage that are hard and we don't know what to do with part of them. But Father, we also acknowledge that, that we need to confess our sins and be open about our sins to one another and pray for one another more regularly. God, I pray that you would just make that a reality within our intentional relationships where, where we are close enough together, where there is, where there is trust build up and and grace and love so that there's nothing that cannot be admitted or said to one another, Lord, that, that would scare or frighten off, Lord, but that, but that your grace would be evident because we know that when we humble ourselves before you, your grace starts to flow and that's where the power is, Lord. So give us the confidence in you and the trust in you and your truth, Father, to, to be vulnerable with one another and to be honest with one another with where we are. Lord, uh, trusting God that you're going to bring your grace. And then so that also we can all start praying for one another in a more direct way for the exact things that are going on in our lives. Lord, we thank you again. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.